Welcome to another episode of uh, This Week with Severe. And uh, this is our brand new uh, episode for 2021 new season. And we have an amazing guest with us today, uh, Brian Clayton. I want to give you, a, uh, it's going to be an amazing uh, episode. We're going to cover quite a lot uh, about uh, uh, B2B2C. That's a very interesting model. So we will talk about that in detail. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to give uh, a little bit of a back, you know, background to Brian Clayton and why you should be listening to this man here. Brian Clayton is CEO and co-founder of uh, GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 uh, active users, completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting a GreenPal, uh, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest uh, landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to, to over $10 million a year in re revenue before it was acquired by Lusa uh, Holdings in 2013. Brian's interest and expertise are related to uh, entrepreneurship, small business group uh, growth, uh, uh, marketing, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to the moon. That's, that's his bio. Welcome to the show, Brian. Savir, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Not a problem. So before we, we get started with these episodes, what I like doing is I, I like creating kind of the baseline so the audience gets to know you uh, a bit more about your background. Like every superhero has a background story, right? Uh, I hope that you were not bitten by a spider or anything like that, or <laughs> a, a kryptonite didn't hit you or anything like that. So tell me uh, who's Brian Clayton and more importantly, how, you know, where, not necessarily where you are right now, but where, how did you come about? Yeah, so I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, lifelong business owner. I've never had a job, never worked for anybody. I've always had my own my own business. Uh, luckily, I was drug into entrepreneurship and business ownership by my father uh, when I was a teenager. He said, hey, get off your butt. You're going to go cut the neighbor's grass. And he made me go mow the neighbor's yard. And uh, I guess he got tired of watching me play Super Mario Kart. And uh, I something about mowing the neighbor's yard and making 20 bucks just stuck with me. I just, I thought, wow, this is great. I, I don't have to hassle my parents for money. I can make as much money as I want to. And I, the first thing I did when I got done after I got paid was I went to, uh, old, my old school desktop computer and, and printed up some flyers on like Microsoft word. And, uh, by the end of that summer, I had like a dozen customers in the neighborhood. I was cutting grass and, uh, and I just stuck with that little lawn mowing business all through high school. Uh, and I, then I put myself through college mowing yards. And then when I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to, uh, stop mowing grass and go into the job market and basically take a pay cut? Or was I going to stick with this lawn mowing business? I didn't really want to be a grass cutting guy my entire life but <laughs> but I was doing well I, I had like a helper or two and I had a I had a good little book of business and so I, I took kind of what I learned in business school and laid out a little business plan and and uh, just went to work and over a 15 year period of time I I built that into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live and got it over 150 employees over 10 million dollars a year in annual revenue and in 2013, that business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And uh, so growing that business, just me and a push mower to me and like 80 trucks and 100 plus employees, I, I learned a lot the hard way about how to build and scale a, a business. 
and uh, and 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 luckily my dad forced me to get started because there's no telling uh, there's no telling where I would have ended up if, if he had not made me go mow the neighbor's yard. You know, it's, it's funny how uh, the universe kind of conspires and sometimes kicks you in the butt <laughs> yeah. to push you towards where where kind of where your faith or at least the next step is going to be, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of funny how things kind of kind of unfold. When I sold that business, I I retired. I took about six months off. And I got bored. I, I realized something about myself that that business is like the thing that lends me purpose. It is the thing that causes me to get better, smarter, wiser, more humble. And uh, without that, I, I, I was like there was something missing. And so I thought, okay, uh, I got to get back in the arena. I got to get got to get back in the game. And so I, the idea for Green Pal, which is the business I'm working on now, was really straightforward to me. I, you know, I saw what Uber and Airbnb were doing, and and Lyft, and and and, and back in like Postmates and DoorDash. And I thought, okay, an app needs to exist to basically make what I spent the last 15 years of my life doing happen a lot more smooth, simple more cost effective and uh and so i recruited two co-founders and we went to work we went to work on on building the first version of the app and and we've been at this now eight years and so we're at eight wow. year eight year overnight success <laughs> now uh before we get to the co-founders because i have a, a ton of question because it always it, you know, i i love the dynamics of co-founders you know so i'm, I'm gonna dig into that but before we we uh go go there uh Talk about the initial stages of, of that. You're sitting down with a piece of paper. Are you sitting on a computer where you are jotting these things down or even drawing what the mobile app is going to look like or the website is going to look like and stuff like that? Luckily, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't. Uh, so you got to think I spent 15 years running a blue collar type of business, very much in the trenches, hand to hand combat. And so I thought, okay, that was really hard. I don't want to do hard <laughs> things anymore. So now, now I'm going to do something easy. I want to do software now because that's easier. And I didn't understand uh, how difficult it is to basically invent a product uh, that does not yet exist and create the software product to to bring that to life and then on top of that uh creating a, a multi-sided marketplace that's locally constrained uh all from scratch um i didn't understand how how difficult that was going to be and a, and a good thing that i didn't understand that because i probably would have been scared and never would have gotten started so uh we just we just did what we knew how to do and learned as we as we went along and so Starting out, I recruited two co-founders. None of us knew how to code. None of us knew how to design software. None of us knew how to build software. And and so we thought, we genuinely believed that, okay, well, we can just pay a development shop to build what we think GreenPal should be. We'll market it, and we'll be off and going. And and we did that. And uh, we pulled together our money. I, you know, I didn't take, like, the proceeds from my first business and plow it into the second one. Uh, and so this thing had to kind of stand on its own. And so we, we pulled together our money and we spent $150,000 with a de dev shop here in Nashville to, to build what we thought Green Pal should be. And we launched it and uh, it was a total flop, total failure. Hard to use, didn't have the features it needed, didn't fulfill the vision of push a button, get the grass cut. And it was really disheartening. And we, we were confronted with the reality of, okay, if we're going to be in the tech business, we really got to learn how to, how, to, how to execute tech. And so we went to work on the second version and on ourselves at the same time. You know, we would take 
any online course we could, any blog post, any YouTube uh, video we could to learn how to build software. And my co-founder actually went to a software boot camp uh, to learn Ruby on Rails, and and I wow. learned is just the basics on front end front end uh, engineering. And my other co-founder learned how to design, and and we just went to work. It took three years to to learn how to do all this stuff and and build the second version. But uh, we were making it better and better and ourselves better and better as, as, as we released the second version based off the feedback from the few people that used the first version. So uh, you could have gotten you know, gone to a nice uh, MBA school and spend that $150,000. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and I don't know if I would have been any further or, or further along or behind. You know, it, it was kind of like the... Uh, the ticket price you, you to entry into the, the game. Stars the show, yeah, <laughs> you know when, when we when we launched that thing, we had no user acquisition strategy, no, no SEO, no SEM, nothing. And so the only thing we knew to do was uh, a page out of my former playbook was pass out door hangers. And so here we are. I just I just had this exit, ten million dollar business sold, and and now I'm back to where I was 15 years ago, hanging door hangers on people's houses, begging them to use this this app that you know we just cobbled together to get a $26 lawn mowing. Um, and, and, and by doing that, we were able to get a few hundred people to, to try it out. And like, I got bit by a dog like two times. And so we understood <laughs> that like, we understood that like, like one dog bite per 10 customers was not a scalable user acquisition strategy, but we got just <laughs> enough people to use it to then we could interview them. We could talk to them. And what we kept coming across was they were pissed off, disappointed, and upset that it did not work. And as crazy as that sounds, that was like for us the validation to keep going, that that they they were let down. They wanted this thing to work. They wanted it to like deliver them a long guy or a long gal for, for the, a good price. It just didn't do it. And so we were like, well, at least they wanted it to work. So let's just keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, I can tell you from my personal experience, once I found uh, my landscaper for my home uh, to, to take care of my lawn care and back of the yeah. house in the front. It's gold. <laughs> it's gold. I have been with the same person for 20 plus years. 20 years. Same. You don't want to go out and find another one. And, and that guy actually trained his nephew and his nephew has started to take over the, the business. And I see more of his nephew than him. But the thing is that my lawn get, take, takes care of, you know, I'm in New York. So that means from, uh, what is it, around uh, um, end of March, uh, roughly up to October, just before when the snow starts, all of that work is his. So he right. takes care of it, comes in, does, does the work. I, I hired him 20 years ago. And my brother, like a year later, hired him too. So we live next to each other. So he comes in, takes care of both homes and goes. And I and he gets paid. You know? I love that. I love yeah. that. And, and, and that's that's the guy. That's why we do what we do. That's who we have built this thing to help. Because as it turns out, making a living in the grass cutting business is hard. It's tough. You you get up, you sharpen blades. You, you, uh, you're doing like three or four hours of work before you get paid for anything. And like we have set out to build GreenPal to really help that guy double their business, make more money with less, with less headache, while offering a nice convenience to homeowners to, to push a button and get this chore done. So you you work on this uh, mobile app. You you come up with with the solution. It didn't work. And try one. So let's go for try two. Version two comes out, right? How does how does the initial acquisition model look like in in the first let's say three months, right? 
because you're trying to acquire it's it's like a uh, three different markets that you're going after, right? One, uh, the two player, two actors are the homeowner and the, the landscaper. But then you want to be discovered on whether it's on, on the platforms, apps, social, or any of those kinds of things so that it's possible that I might own the home. I may not be that tech savvy. My son or daughter might be more tech savvy so that they could say, oh, dad, why don't we uh, use this app? They actually send you a landscaper. So walk me through that. How did that initial three months look like once you had version two? It kind of worked. It seemed to be working better. How do you how do you now? What is the acquisition strategy like? Yeah, so you you uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's 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 difficult to get one of these multi sided marketplaces going from scratch. Getting over that cold start, the the classic chicken and the egg problem for us. You know, a uh, piece of advice that we learned early on was was think small but be ambitious. And so we really really just focus as much as we could just distill this thing down to its simplest parts and and just stay in one little geographical area and we knew if we could make it work on the east side of nashville that we could make it work in all of nashville and we knew we could make it work all of nashville all of tennessee and then and, and in every other city in the united states and so that was the only thing that we had going for us in the early days. Was we just focused on something as simple as we could. And uh, the way we got over that chicken and egg problem was, first off, the product was awful. It was terrible. It didn't have the features it needed. But uh, we would cold call every lawn mowing service we could, get, we could get a phone number for off of Craigslist, Facebook, Yelp. And we would pitch them on this idea like, hey, you know, we've got this app. We, we want to bring you 20 customers this year. We don't yet have them, uh, but we're working really hard to make it happen. You know, would you would you sign up for it? And and oftentimes they, they were like, yeah, sure, send me the link. And then they wouldn't sign up. And then it would be like, okay, well, just give me your information. And I'll hand, like, concierge you on. And and then, <laughs> and then, and then that would get them on. And then and then it's like, okay, well, we sent you 10, 10 bids last week. You didn't bid any of them. Uh, what's going on? Well, I didn't have my phone on. Or, and so the way we got over this was was I would offer free coaching, free mentorship, free uh, like guidance on how to grow a lawn mowing business because I spent 15 years doing it. And, and I was kind of a known commodity in Nashville, you know, if you were if in the lawn mowing business. If you were in the lawn mowing business, you're in Middle Tennessee, you know who I am because, because I'm one of the, I ran like the biggest company in, in the market and I sold it. And so you kind of knew my name. And so these, these guys would, would get coaching for, from me for free. And that like got us like a year of, of attention from suppliers to just stick with it, uh, bid on the lawn when it came available, when they got hired to actually show up and do it and do a good job. And so that's kind of how we, we hand cranked the supply side in the, in the very early days. And that got us through a, a uh, period of time where we were able to build the features that, that these folks needed to run their business better than they could in analog and to work on the, the homeowner acquisition strategy to get them as many uh, clients as they could as, as they needed. And that, that kind of was, was our way to kind of like hack it almost and hand crank it until we figured out what we needed to do to make it kind of get the flywheel going. So, so it was more like grassroots uh, on the ground, boots on the ground, not social media. It's not... Uh... It's not sending emails to people. It's just just visiting neighborhood by neighborhood, just trying to get people to like be aware of this app. I think for me, I don't like we couldn't skip that step because we didn't know what we needed to do. And so we kind of had to hand crank it. The old Paul Graham quote, do things that don't scale. Like we did that. We did everything by hand manually to like 
get some semblance of a marketplace going. And then we look for ways to do it better and, and leveraging uh, existing networks and platforms to, to, to do it better and faster. But had we not done it by hand and hand cranked it, we wouldn't even known what the mechanics were that we needed to do. And so uh, while we probably, probably spent too long doing that, it, we 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 got the scars. We we sh we proved that we could make it work, and then we figured out ways to to get a, to to do it uh, digitally, and and to have a and to onboard suppliers without having to talk to every one of them. But it took us three years to figure that out. Very cool. Did you try to run? I mean, this is going to sound very counter coming from a person like myself. Did you try to run like a local TV ad, uh, like you know one of those one eight hundred dentist type phone numbers? To just call the number so that when you call them, they go like, oh, that's easy. You, you can just, you don't have to, you don't have to talk to us. You can just go and download the app, you know, so that you, you could just do it yourself. You know, uh, we're, we were and still are demand side constrained. And so when you are building a multi-sided marketplace like this, particularly one that's consumer facing, usually the harder side of, of the equation is the one that's taking out their wallet. And uh, that that was the challenge. It, you know, in early days, both sides were a big challenge. But it, but at least we could hand crank the uh, the supplier side. The demand side, we had to figure out ways to get the word out. And, and and to your point, we tried everything. We we tried Facebook ads, Google ads, Pinterest ads, Instagram ads, TV ads, print, radio. We experimented in every channel we could. And while yes, they would they would generate results. Um, not not at a at a at a at a uh, a, uh, a point of sound unit economics like we were going to go broke trying to make radio ads work we were going to go broke trying to make the local uh tv spot uh, you know for for this local cbs news to work yeah they would they would generate traction but but it just wasn't scalable and so we we, 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 we experimented in every channel we could. And the thing we kept on hearing from our customers that we would interview was, you know, I just find, you know, whenever my grass is like this tall, I just usually just get on Google and search for a lawn mowing service nearby me. And, and we kept hearing that over and over again. And we had no SEO strategy, but, but, but in our customer interviews, they kept telling us that when we would ask them, how do you normally find a lawn mowing service? And after they've exhausted referrals and friends and family, they would go to Google. And so we were like, okay, we just need to f we just need to throw everything we can into Google and figure out how we're how we're going to make that channel work. And then again, like we didn't know what we didn't know, and so we were confronted with the with the daunting reality of how difficult it is to compete in organic SEO. And uh, we just we just took it took it one step at a time. We just focused on our local market in Nashville and trying to rank number one for the keywords that we knew that would bring in traffic. And we figured that out. That took two years. And then it took wow. another two years to figure out how to make it work in another city. But then as time went on, we were able to develop a repeatable strategy. Very cool. Just to put some uh, uh, background to it, this entire venture so far is, is self-funded. There was no outside money coming in. So you didn't have... Uh, VC cash to burn through, you know, to keep on expanding like that, right? This is all self-funded. That's correct. Uh, we haven't raised a dime of outside capital, and and I'm not like hating on VC money, you know. Like I, you, you look at your phone, every app on the home screen is probably VC backed, and so I, I think when you see it work, yeah. it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, but for us, there was a couple factors at play. One, we're out of Nashville, Tennessee, so it's not like we have a huge, deep pool of of venture capital sloshing around here. Like back in those days, if if somebody made a million dollar bet 
it was headlines. It was huge. It, whereas that was like a like a laughable seed round back in like in in, in the Bay, and mm-hmm. and so and so uh, that was one thing. The other thing is is I really believed and still do that for your best chances of success in most ventures that revenue is usually the best form of financing. And and for us that's certainly been the case. You know, we've been at this eight years, we we've we've bootstrapped it the whole way, and there is a there is a junkyard, uh a graveyard of of Uber for X startups that have probably, you know, plowed five hundred billion dollars of capital into the ground, uh and, and have, have all have goose eggs. Um and you know, and, and we got a lot further than a lot of them did just just off of you know what little revenue we could generate so i think like the the adage of necessity is the mother of invention if you're bootstrapped it like amplifies that and you can only like focus on one thing it's like delighting users and like extracting value out of that equation and it really kind of clarifies your thinking it clarifies what you're doing on a daily basis because your survival depends on it whereas if you got five million bucks in the bank it's a lot easier to be sloppy and like do stuff like hire a head of PR before you're ready for one and like, you know, hire a, a, a full-time social media marketer when social media isn't a good channel for you. And like all of these things that don't move the needle on the business, but you think you're supposed to be doing, it's a lot easier to make those mistakes when you have a bunch of venture capital versus, Hey, we made total five grand last month. <laughs> Where are we going to spend that five grand? You know? And so it clarifies your thinking. Yeah. And I also what, what it uh, to kind of add on to that, what it also does is it's very easy uh, to to take that, that funding, like if, if, if there is angel investing or, or VC funding to take that and just literally give it to Facebook and Google. Right. And, and run ads. However, yeah. you know, however, you have the organic means of building that business and building your brand equity. Right. Uh, so that people get to know you, like you said that you you spend so much time. You it took you two years to figure out SEO, but SEO once you actually invest in it, it's like a dividend paying stock, right? It just keeps on paying you. You know, you, as long as you keep on doing great things with it, it's organic. You know, so that you're gonna keep on. And for some businesses, forty percent of their traffic comes from organic search. So it, why would you want to buy that traffic if you can get it through elbow grease? You can get it. Uh, for free why wouldn't you why would you want to not do that yeah it's it's uh seo is a is a hard channel if you're willing to be patient and 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 put all of the company's weight into it you know after two years it can start to to like you said pay dividends the challenge is is very 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 few vcs understand that and very Mm -hmm. few vcs are willing to fund that kind of growth strategy and a lot of times you know, when you're looking to raise that Series A, they want to see a, a certain revenue uh, metric, and 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 if and if you are relying on SEO to to get there, it, you may or may not have it, and, or it may take you another year or two. And so, and so, I think like just the way venture capital works is they they want to see 10x growth year over year, and and a lot of times the only way to get there is is performance marketing, and a lot of VCs don't really understand the nuances of SEO and, and how much investment it takes to 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 get it going and they're not going to be patient enough to, to wait on that and so therefore when you set off on that path of a, of a pre-seed seed uh, series a B you kind of set off on a chain reaction of events that 
make it difficult to 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 make bets in, in things like SEO, which don't have that instant payout, and a lot of times aren't. The accounting of them is 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 difficult, difficult. too. It's yeah. hard to know that if you put a million dollars in SEO, that you're going to get a million dollars back in a year. It's it's almost like a it's almost like a leap of faith. Or, or that million in three to five years might be fifty million. <laughs> right. It's hard you to know, know one way, because one it just way or keeps the on other. paying you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, going to you mentioned your co-founder several times now, right? There's always I, I love the dynamics of co co-founders. Co you know, sometimes you know when you're co-founding uh, an app uh, or, or a marketplace like yours, one person is a business marketing person, the other person is a tech. That's a typical setup of those two, like two co-founders coming together. In your case, I think there are three co-founders to your greenpal.com, right? That's correct. And I got extremely lucky. Uh, I think a lot of people under index on how important uh, your co-founder like decision is. Where find them? Is there a these were these were two guys that I had these are two guys that I had known for a long time. Wow. I trusted them and I knew one thing about them. They had a chip on their shoulder to do something great in their life. And that was all I was optimizing for. I just wanted to be in the trenches with somebody who felt like like they could make more of themselves in life and that they can make something of themselves and like business this app was the vehicle for that. That's all I was looking for. And I knew that if they were like sufficiently motivated and had that chip on their shoulder, had that fire in their belly, that we could figure the rest out. And I got lucky. Like that that's how it worked out. You know, none of us knew the first thing about how to build a an app or a marketplace or do any of this stuff, but but we were all three like sufficiently motivated to do whatever it took to learn what we needed to learn to execute and do it. That usually doesn't happen. It's almost like it's almost like meeting your soulmate in high school. Like it usually doesn't happen. And 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 to and to take that analogy one step further, like the decision of of choosing your co-founder is in most cases like carries more weight than who you decide to marry, because if the business is successful, you're probably going to spend more time with this person than most marriages last these days. And, and, and I, and I guarantee you one thing, if it is successful, you'll spend more time with this co-founder than you will your spouse. Uh, you're going to spend 10, 12 hours a day, five, six days a week with them. And mm -hmm. so, uh, like that decision of who you decide to like co-found a business with is, is as important as who you decide to marry in, in my estimation. I think that these days, um, Try to go it alone first because your chances of getting that right are so slim. Try to go it alone first, or unless you just unless you're just totally like in love, you know this is your business soulmate. Then co-found the business. And if the and, and and if the dynamics make sense, like like Paul Graham says, you want a hacker and a hustler. If you can like bring those two together, I think it can increase your odds of success. But but I see a lot of new business owners just like they want a co-founder, almost like to like validate that they're doing the right thing and to almost be like a codependency thing and almost just to like, they think they have to, and it's mm -hmm. almost like a crutch and they'll rush that decision. And in most cases, like that's a lot of times is, is the cause of failure is, is the dynamics of the co-founding relationship are, are just not good. And, and that's what causes the business to crater. Now, now if, um, but, but you, so these guys have been your friend for uh, lifelong friends or did you guys meet in college? Went to college with, went to college with both of them, played soccer with them. Um, knew, knew both of them very well, were friends of mine, knew I could trust them. And I, and I, and I knew they were pissed off for more in life. 
Oh wow! And and this is as as a collective. This is your first venture, right? This is not something that you didn't work with you at Peachtree. Nope, nope. This was our first business together, and and like I said, we really like in the early days. You know, this was like the like 2013. You just you, like it was kind of like the the boom of 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 consumer local mobile and so you just saw all these things happening and you really don't understand unless you've tried to do one yourself how difficult it is to bring one of them to life and we just saw all this stuff happening we really believed that that we would just pull our money together work really hard pay a shop and in two years we would have the like the business like nationwide <laughs> like we had no clue and uh the only thing that got us through like the first four years was just like a relentless obsession to see it work and 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 just not giving up how much of that experience whether it was from your dad pushing you to go and cut neighbor's lawn to professional experience with peach tree landscaping right that that actually played a role uh, knowing having that domain knowledge help you build the right solution uh you know with, with your current business it's a good question i think when you're inventing something brand new from scratch that does not yet exist I think it can really help to, to be solving your own problem. So let's say you wanted to build like the flat out best operating system that lawyers use. I think if you've got 10 years as a practicing attorney, you're probably going to be uh, better suited for success than a really good engineer who has never like picked up a legal book. And so I, that's just my experience and that's, that's how, I, how I experienced it. Um, I think you need to come to the to the equation with that domain experience, or just you better be really good at building tech, and and this might be your second or third startup, and you understand customer discovery and all these things. You really need to have one or the other. Not having either is going to be really really tough. And so for me, you know, the vision for what GreenPal was in 2013 is really no different than it is today. We're we're really solving the same set of problems. We have focused on this one thing, this one chore, this one service, making it as reliable, as simple, as cost effective as possible. And we've just kept on making it better and better and better. But the vision of of I'm a homeowner, my grass is four feet tall. I don't want to like leave a dozen voicemails. I don't want to call people on Facebook or Craigslist or Yelp. I just want to like put my information in, push a button and hire somebody. That was the idea in 2013. That's the same thing we're working on today in 2021. Yeah, I mean, if it works on Instacart, I can I can order something from Costco to be delivered to my home. Why can't that service be delivered to my home also when the person just comes in? I, and every week I can change my mind. I mean, every week I could schedule somebody new. Does Instacart person that brings my groceries home is not the same person every time I order, right? So right. every week I could have a, a different person come in. My necessity as a homeowner is to make sure that my... You know, I have a curb appeal on the front end, front of the house, and on the back end, it, it's some a livable space where I can in, entertain and enjoy enjoy the enjoy the garden I have behind my home. So it doesn't matter. I mean, as long as the person is clean, <laughs> no criminal record, they can come in and do that for me, and I know that it's it's done. And especially if if I'm running, if I have some kind of party coming up or something, that that actually increases the need for that type of a service even more. I mean, I can I can, I get it. Yeah, that's what we're in the job of, of, of introducing you to the best fit and making that as easy as possible and then setting that on autopilot. So to your point, it may take a couple of auditions for two or three different lawn mowing uh, services for you to find the one you like. But once you find the one you like, then you, like to your point when we first started this conversation, 
you want the same guy for 20 years. Yeah. You don't you don't want a different person every week. Like these like one thing that that caused all of the Uber for X companies to fail was that they treated their suppliers as fungible commodities. Uh meaning like this like for instance Homejoy uh was was a was a textbook example of too much capital before they figured out how to make to, to, and, before, and before they figured out how to delight homeowners. And uh, what they really believed was it didn't matter who came and cleaned every week. And it's like, yeah, you want to make it easy to try two or three different people because that's a pain in the butt. Uh, but then once you find your person, like, let's lock it in. And uh, that's, a mis- that's a learning that we learned really early on. And it's one that kind of, I kind of knew, you know, from being in the industry for so long. And, uh, and, and so it's kind of like that balance between trying several and then sticking with the one for, for the length of the relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think once you find that uh, sweet spot, like meaning that the person is nice, like because they're they're coming to your home, even if it's outside your home, they're coming to your home. You want to make sure that if you're not around, your family is around, that they will be safe. They're not going to, you know, so that becomes a concern. So once once you find that person, you know, you want you go all in and go like, OK, you know what? Like, just give me a contract. I'll, I'll sign it. You just come in every year and just take care of my lawn for me, you know. That's right. And, and one thing, you know, the, the hard reality of like we were working so hard on building an app that worked and designing it, making it easy to use and like functional integrity and all of this stuff we're executing on the technology. And what we learned was consumers don't care how good your technology is. They don't care. Like all they care about is was my lawn mowed nice and neat on the day it was supposed to be mowed. They don't give a damn. I mean, yeah, the app needs to be needs to be easy to use, intuitive, well-designed, it needs to work, but that's table stakes. They don't care about that. All they care about is did it solve their problem. And, you know, Homejoy had a really nice app, had a really good uh, user acquisition strategy, had a, had a really well-designed piece of, of, of technology, but the, the bathtub still had mildew in it. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good the app was, bathtub's still dirty. And, uh, and so losing sight of that, you know, when you're building an app that makes, you know, real world experiences happen, you know, it's like you have to like the, the technology execution is table stakes. Uh, all that matters is are you solving the, the user's needs? Yeah. I mean, in, in that kind of a scenario, I, I think reviews and rating system, I think, play a big role, right? Absolutely. Where, you know, I, I think even the on-demand apps nowadays, like when you get into that Uber car, uh, the driver can rate you as well as you can rate the past, you know, you could rate the, the, the driver, right? To say that if, if the person was too talkative and you wanted to have quiet time and stuff like that versus the driver might say that the person was rude also so that, you know, it goes both ways. Is there a, is there a reviews and rating system built into, uh, into a green pal? Absolutely. And, that, and that's the, you know, that was one of the features we knew we had to have day one. We had to have a, a, a feedback system to understand who was doing a good job and who wasn't. As time went on, as we went from our first, our first big goal was a hundred transactions in a week. You know, now mm-hmm. we, now we do a hundred transactions every, every so few minutes. And so, but, but like, that was the big goal. And after, after we got to a thousand transactions a week, then we got a little bit of data. And what we began to understand was, yes, we have this star rating system where homeowners can like qualitatively review their experience. And that's important. And we need to like understand that at a programmatic level, but what are the, uh, what are the inferred or the passive signals or the, the signals that are just like happening and how can we leverage those to, to increase quality and, and decrease costs? 
and and those signals were like, does a service provider show up on the day they were hired? Uh, do they get booked for a second or third or fourth service? Um, do they uh, uh, do do they push to 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 call the the, the homeowner before they're they're uh, they're on the way? Um, do they uh, do do they reactivate the the clientele that they had last year to this year? Um, do, you know all of these things that that they're just kind of happening through the normal course of business, and we can kind of use that and leverage that, understand it to to surface the ones that are really good and demote and expel the ones that aren't so good because. That's just a, a, a fundamental reality of any service-based business is that it's hard, it's, it's, it's labor-intensive, it requires somebody who really has the enthusiasm and, and, and the desire to run a good service business. It's our job as the platform to promote the ones that are, that are good and, and to demote and expel the ones that aren't so good and so the homeowners can that use our, our our product can can sidestep that and not have to go through that typical experience of i hired somebody and they didn't show up do you see that um i mean are there uh professionals that provide service on the platform and actually utilize the platform and do you see like students because I, I i see a, a a trend and i've been in multiple states and cities uh before the pandemic you know that <laughs> that uh, I know that there are certain uh, populations, like uh, there, uh, there were two interesting populations I, I saw as Uber drivers, for example. One was uh, college students and they had a gap in their day during their college schedule. So they had they could take, their, take a car, uh, you know, it, either it's their car or they rented a car and they went and, and they're providing a service for two, three hours before their next class to make some side money, right? I, that was one interesting, that, that was an obvious, to me, it was more obvious, that one. The one that was not so obvious was I actually came across uh, retirees and they wanted to get out of the home and they were get too bored to be sitting around and not doing anything. So they became Uber drivers so that they went out to uh, uh, to, to get out of the house, make some money. But the, the bigger goal was to get out of the house, you know, so that they didn't want to sit around and not do anything. Right. Do you see any kind of seasonality in your business because of that? Like the college is closed or high school is closed and now you see a bunch of uh, new people providing that service. And then as soon as school starts, they, they fall off and they stop uh, use, utilizing the service. We don't see the come and go in and out of the business seasonality because like an Uber driver, all you got to have is a car and a driver's license. In the lawn mowing business, you got to have a little bit more. You got to have a, usually a truck, trailer, lawnmower uh it's, it's usually about five to ten thousand dollars of equipment to get started now that said if you have a lawn and you want it mowed every two weeks for 35 dollars, you don't want the big landscaping company in town that has 10 or 20 or 50 employees to come cut your grass they're going to be more expensive they're not going to really care about your account because it's not driving a whole lot of profit to them they may mm -hmm. show up they may not you're going to be down the list when it rains who you want is the fireman, the bartender, uh, the school teacher. You want uh, the police officer, the person that, that has a, uh, a full-time job or a part-time job already, and they're looking to put an extra $1,000 a week in their pocket because they are the, mm -hmm. proprietary, the proprietor of that little service. They're going to be the one on your lawn. They're going to be the one executing the service, and they're going to care more about your happiness and, 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 and your satisfaction. That's what our platform does. It enables you as the homeowner to come onto the app, 
discover all of these smaller service providers that that might do 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 lawns a week and they want to do 80 and they really want your business and they'll show up when they're supposed to and and have the discoverability and the ability to hire them uh, whereas if you don't use GreenPal, you have no idea who these people are. You have no way to discover them, and you don't know if they're any good or not. And then you're like relegated to like dialing for dollars for ten to ten or twelve people, or calling that bigger company that may or may not show up, may may or may not really care about your business. It's our job to make those matches and then empower that relationship just to to work like ordering something off of Amazon. Is there a uh, while you were saying that I was thinking, is there a uh... Because you keep on saying homeowner, is is there a version of GreenPal for business? So if I'm a small business owner, I have a little lawn in front of my uh, establishment. I could be a dentist or a doctor, you know, with you know, and I operate out of a like one of those establishments that look more like a private home, you know, to give it a very homely feel. There's a garden, there is a greenery there. Do you also cater to like businesses like that too? Very, 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 very small businesses. So less than 5% of our, of our revenue comes from commercial properties. And you would think, well, why is that? Why does it even matter? You would think like everybody who has grass would use it. As it turns out, the, the residential lawn mowing business and the commercial lawn mowing business are two totally different worlds. In fact, that's one of the jumps that you have to make in the industry if you want to build a big company. You have to really figure out how you make the jump from residential to commercial. Commercial properties go through usually like an RFP process, a request for pricing. They have uh, more stringent uh, policies around how to submit invoicing to get paid. Um, there's, there's all these other things that go. It's not just grass. A lot of times it's other things. And so our product, the, the reason that we're successful is that we focus on just one thing. You have a lawn. You have grass outside of your home. You want it mowed every week or every 10 days or every two weeks. Well, guess what? I have the best solution in the world for you. Not, hey, you've got a... Uh, uh, pizza joint and you've got five locations and you're looking for bids and you know we don't have the solution for that and 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 so like maybe one day but we have so much further to go just on this one use case and I think like that focus that that focus on just making this one thing easier and easier is is why we've been able to bootstrap and, and survive and, and get get the profitability uh, over the course of eight years. Now let's say uh, I mean you're in the landscaping business right and there are I'm, I'm sure that uh, people who are viewing this uh, this episode, uh, they're thinking about like, how do I do it in my industry, right? Not necessarily in landscaping, but let's say uh, I, I had another guest, uh, Habib Salo from Young Nails, right? He, he, he is a B2B provider for salons for nail polish and acrylics and stuff like that. If he wants to come up with a service, right? Like I'm using him as, I don't think he's going to do it, but <laughs> like... If he wants to uh, deliver uh, a nail artist to your home to come in and uh, do your nails at home, right, or in your backyard, uh, what is that? What are some of the lessons that you learned in that journey that you would like to share with them so that they they know to look out for it? What What are your top three things there? Uh, so if 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 you're crazy enough to start an app that makes real world services happen in the real life, and if you want to de dedicate a decade of your life doing that, <laughs> you gotta could, really love it. Then you gotta really love it. And so I get a lot of people hit me up. 
you know, uh, on on LinkedIn or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing pressure washing and it really sucks. And I would rather just have an app like yours. And uh, I think it'd be easier. I think you know, I'm thinking about just like building an app. I'm like, hold on, can an app like GreenPal work in pressure washing? Maybe, probably, but don't do it unless you just you're obsessed with seeing this thing come to life and you're willing to dedicate a decade of your life. And every time the answer is, Oh no, I didn't realize it was, it was that hard. So like that's step one, like, yes, you can do it. Uh, you certainly can do it so long as you're sufficiently motivated and you, and you're willing to dedicate at least five years before you have anything that said, uh, let's say you are sufficiently like ambitious and crazy enough to do this. Then I think one thing that can help increase your odds of success is to actually execute the service, actually run a business that that does it. I, in fact, I, I had a call with a with a guy that that wanted to do the same thing we're doing, but for junk removal. And he has a junk removal business. He's got like mm-hmm. ten crews. All they do is junk removal. And I'm like, dude, this is perfect. All you have to do is learn how to code, and and then. <laughs> And then after you learn how to code, you can start to build the software that enables everything you do uh, to happen like like Amazon or Uber. And and all, then all you need to do is focus on the homeowner side or the, the, the consumer side. And then you just fulfill all of that. And then after you figure out the consumer side, then start to layer on other suppliers. And he's like, yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, but I don't really want to learn how to code. I'm like, well, then don't do this. Uh, you can't, you can't get in, you can't build a tech startup unless you you or somebody on your team who's like right there with you can execute tech. And, uh, and so I think he's going to take my advice. I don't know. But so I think it can increase your chances of success if you have experience in or currently have a business that's executing whatever it is that real world service is. And then alongside that, you, you build, you build the product and then, and then, then you can kind of like, um, you can kind of like hand crank the the fulfillment of it because you have the service, and then all you have to do is worry about is, is getting the, the consumers. And then once you've done that, then you can loop back around and get more suppliers. Yeah, you know the analogy I was thinking while you were saying that was uh, it's it's easy to watch Super Bowl on TV. It's it's a completely a different thing from becoming a linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, great <laughs> analogy. And I am and, and I am by no way. <laughs> likening myself to a professional athlete and, and, and the level of excellence they have to operate at. But you make a very good analogy. The disconnect between what you see watching the NBA and what, you, watch think, YouTube videos. <laughs> and what you think goes on there versus what actually goes on there is the same level of disconnect that that goes into bringing one of these tech startups to life and particularly a marketplace like you just don't really know until you get in there because i, I can say this because i myself was just as naive when i started this business uh, so how, what role does uh, you know social media is huge driver of traffic right mostly paid traffic but uh, also if you build good communities on these platforms you can actually get uh you can get a pretty good results from it so what role does social media play in your world, you know, in, in Green Pal? Yes. Yeah, so you, you said that the, what you learned was Google was a great place because of Google SEO and Google paid ads. I get it, you know. But when it comes to social media, how, how do you play in it? For us, social media is one of those things that you have to do, you have to be good at. Um, it's not necessarily going to like give you for us, it's not going to necessarily be like the primary driver 
of, of acquisition, but it can be an accelerator. And so for, I'll give you some examples. For us, like social media for us is an accumulation of, of sentiment. And so whether it be people like reviewing us on Facebook or Yelp or, or sending out upset tweets or commenting on our pictures on Instagram, like if you don't have product market fit and you are pissing off pe more people than you are delighting, well, social media is going to reflect that. And so you have to, you have to let, let social media be kind of a, an indicator of how well you're doing in terms of sentiment from, from consumers, but also you need to like protect it and make sure it looks good and then direct people there to share their experiences. So then you have like, then you have like a, a, a channel in which people can verify like, okay, I saw, I did, I Googled lawn care near me and I live in Wichita, Kansas, and I saw this Green Pal thing. Sounds great, but I'm going to Google Green Pal reviews. And guess what? Facebook comes up, Yelp, Trustpilot, Google Reviews, all of these different places where the platform is reviewed. And, and guess what those people are talking about? Did it work to get my grass cut? Did it solve my problem? They didn't, they're not talking about how well the app is designed or how, like, how, how, Here's like, the end result. It's it. That's all they care about. Short <laughs> grass. And so, like, that's where social media comes into play for us. It's like these, these properties have to look great. We have to participate there, and we have to send happy people there to to talk about us because that is kind of like that evidence for somebody who doesn't know what Green Pal is. Very cool. Now you mentioned a, a few names for um, for competition, right? Uh, you, you said that people can go on um, Google; they can Google landscaping near me, landscape services, cut cut my grass near me, something like that. Uh, Google is definitely one of those. The other one you mentioned was Craigslist. Uh, maybe they're putting a posting up or looking at service providers there. A few others that come to my mind, and I've actually tested these out as being a homeowner, right? I, and I believe that they may be your competition, right? Uh, Angie's List is one, right? Uh, there are a few others with variants of Angie's List. The other one is um, something like generic, like um, uh, TaskRabbit, right? Uh, somebody says that they know how to cut grass. You ask them to come in and, and cut the grass. I mean, I, I've hired people to do TaskRabbit to paint my fence and they didn't know anything about painting anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, it sucks. <laughs> you know, but they are competition. They're taking, given their marketing budget, they're, they're, they, they have their kind of the share of their own voice, whether it's ad space or anything like that. So uh, what does what do you think of that competition and, and how do you... Uh, you know, on, you've been doing this for eight years, right? Um, how do you raise yourself above that noise? Because yeah. I do believe that, that that's a lot of noise, you know, on the other side. Yeah, so our biggest competition is the status quo. Unfortunately, people still do this the hard way. They still, they, they still ask for friends and family for recommendations. They'll still uh, dial for dollars off a of Craigslist or they'll still dial off of Facebook. That's our biggest competition is people still picking up the phone and calling people and leaving voicemails and like doing it the hard way. That is our biggest competition. Now, when we do compete for space on the search engine results page and so when you are like looking to get when you get to google that's where we compete is like okay how do we rank uh outrank these other other folks that are targeting the same keywords and so uh competition on the search engine search engine results page uh home advisor uh angie's list oh, yeah. thumbtack yelp craigslist these are all really good places to get names and numbers 
but you still have to poll these people. You still have to call them. You still have to figure out what their pricing is. You still have to figure out what the availability is. You still have to, like, in analog, like, line up something and hope they show up. There is no, like, accountability layer to bring you from four feet tall grass to nice, neat mowed yard that's paid for, and I wasn't even there. And so there is no end-to-end -end solution like that uh, other than ours. Now, do we compete like head-to-head -head on those features? Not really, but we do compete for Mindshare. We do compete for uh, search engine results uh, 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 pages. And so that's where we have to compete. And, and uh, you know, we don't really like monotically like worry about what the competition is doing, but we, we, worry, we worry about and place a lot of emphasis on kicking their butts in terms of search and 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 also reviews out on the open web having a better better uh, uh, reputation than they do, and so that's where we compete. And and you know you kind of look at like DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats. Were they all in competition? Are they all in competition with each other? Yes, but kind of the three of them raised the tide of of people understanding that you can just order food uh, from an app and not calling the Chinese restaurant. and you Or you don't have to have pizza every night of the week. You know, there's other options. And so so the three of them, yeah, they, 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 they competed like hell, and they still do, but they also kind of like helped each other to a degree of shifting the tide of awareness towards, hey, I, you know, I can order in one or two nights a week, and I don't have to have pizza. And so it's it's kind of our our philosophy that if you took all of the digital ways to get your grass cut and times them by like 10, it still is a drop in the bucket compared to how much grass is getting cut. It's an 80 billion dollar industry. And so wow. like that's 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 the white space. That's what we're focused on is like how do we how do we continue to put this 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 product in the hands of consumers and all, almost like our competitors who are doing the same thing. How do we collectively uh, shift the, the 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 understanding that you don't have to leave a voicemail ever again. Just download an app and get it done. You know, it's um when you when you see I mean, with the journey that you have had, you know, it's been already been uh, eight years. Where do you see your trajectory in the next two to three years? What, what are some of the challenges you're trying to solve and what, and that you're looking to, like from a scaling scalability of the business, where do you see yourself? Yeah, so we've doubled every year for the past five years. We want to continue to double. And so that's the that's the challenge. And And, you know, when we first started, we were demand constrained. And uh, year eight, we're still demand constrained. We can we can service 10 time, 10x the, the revenue we're doing now, and so continuing to do the things we should be doing to to distribute the platform, to get it in the hands of homeowners and consumers, driving awareness, driving uh, uh, better results in search, and, and 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 experimenting in other channels. That's that's what we're focused on now, and and also while doing that, focusing on how do we make it even cheaper even faster, even more reliable to, to, to further that delta between calling somebody off a of Craigslist versus downloading GreenPal and just getting it done in a minute. You, you mentioned several times Paul Graham, right? Several times uh, during this uh, interview. Uh, so who, do you, who inspires you uh, from a business standpoint uh, or even, even books? Because everybody asks me, like, what books do you read, Sabir? I would like to read those books, you know? Yeah. So from your perspective, like what, what's your recommendation, whether it's, it's a person's a, a YouTube channel or something like that, or an influencer, 
or or if it's a a book author or someone that inspires you really well you know the the beautiful thing about today is that you can access the long tail of advice for exactly what it is you're doing and so you know you don't have to like tony robbins is great but tony robbins ain't going to tell me how i'm going to double my business next year you know like and uh, and so like to get like you know you don't have to like rely on this generic advice and this philosophical stuff that doesn't necessarily like practically uh, relate to what it is you're doing. So one thing that I've spent like almost a decade doing is just combing through YouTube, combing through all the million podcasts and just really dialing into the to the ones that that are surfacing the advice that I need to do what it is I'm doing. For one, uh, there's there's a there's a YouTube channel called Every, Everything Marketplaces. And all these guys talk about and gals is is uh, how to build marketplaces. Well, that's what I'm doing. You know, how do we get more home how do we get more consumers on our marketplace? Well, they, that's what they're talking about. And so that's what I'm dialed into. And so my 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 feedback there is like Take the time, really dial in to who is talking about the practical things that you're doing, and learn from them. Because in this, this this day and age, you can, and everybody, and there are no secrets. Um, so that's like zooming in, zooming out. Like you're just getting started. Some some classics that that I think everybody should read is you know Four Steps of the Epiphany and the Startup Owner's Manual. Those are two books by Steve Blank, and you know a lot of the things that that are talked about in in, in those books are sound like common sense but they're things that we all skip in terms of 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 customer discovery and really figuring out what works before you try to blow it out like those are two books that 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 i revisit you know either they're a decade plus old but i still revisit them even to this day oh very cool so uh, thank you for sharing everything you have shared so far now i'm going to ask you the hundred thousand dollar question right what is your number one advice uh, to anyone who's thinking about building marketplaces, launching their own app, launching their own business, what's you, what's that advice to that budding entrepreneur or or, or an entrepreneur who has already been scarred already? So, what is that number one hundred thousand dollar expert invite uh, insight? Oh man, how do I pick one? You know, I think I might have mentioned already: start small, but be ambitious. Like a lot of us just go straight to like big. And then big doesn't happen, and then we get like dejected and we give up. And and it's like looking at business like a video game, and like there's ten levels to this game. And if you're just getting started, like get through level one, throw up the flag, don't worry about Bowser, like just get through level one. And and so start small, be ambitious, have big goals, have big dreams, but understand it's going to be five, ten years to get this thing going. Be patient, hold yourself accountable to make continual progress, and uh, and look at it that way. Uh, because I think what holds up a lot of people from being successful is they just give up too quick, and they, oh, we we pivoted. And then we pivoted again, and then we pivoted again, and then we pivoted again. It's like this pivot word is is has gotten too, <laughs> almost too uh, like almost too accepted. It's okay to pivot, but like the pivot is a is a is is like a shift in strategy. The vision stays the same, um, and so it's like don't don't just like pivot every other month or pivot every year. Stick then with you're something. not getting anything done. Yeah. Next thing you know, you've wasted a decade. Where, where if you just stuck with the first thing for a decade, you'd have something. Yep. I mean, actually, that advice also applies to investing, right? With it's like, it's more like Warren Buffett style. You know, yep. you, you you do your homework, invest in that stock, and then just let it sit there. Imagine that Wall Street basically, I mean, stock market basically closed down. 
Yep. And 10 years later, you want to sell that stock. You should be That's fine right. with that decision, you know. But, you know, I, I think also to add on to what you just said, I think also those uh, be start uh, small but be ambitious. I think test, learn, and optimize, I think, should be in that cycle constantly. Absolutely. So that's yeah. how you scale up and, and know that as you're scaling up, it doesn't matter if you start with $50 a day, but but that $50 a couple of months from now, if you keep on scaling and you keep on improving results, even it's 1%. In one year, it's thirty-six point five x improvement. <laughs> That's x, right. Not percentage x. If thirty-six can... times more than what you started on January first compared exactly. to December thirty-first. So I think that needs to be that needs to be part of your DNA. That you, you know, because I, I agree with you. The, the word pivot is so massively abused. You know that that that's a, such a shame. You know, yeah, it really is. And, and so hopefully, folks listening to this is just, just stick it out. Do the hard work, stick it out. Like you said, make continual small improvements. And, and over a course of three, four, five years, you'll wake up in a different reality. Brian, thank you for being part of the show. And people, folks, follow him right there. It's follow Brian on Instagram. Uh, Brian M. Uh, Clayton on Instagram. Please follow him. Uh, show him some love. Uh, I'm sure that if, if uh, folks DM you, you respond to them on, on Instagram. So please DM him and, and so on. Uh, uh, thank you, audience, for joining us. And thank you, Brian, for sharing all of your insights. Really appreciate you. My pleasure, Samir. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you.